Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I gave the title Crust to Scale Geophysics because uh, although the crust is very thin, it's only about 1% uh, of the Earth's volume. This is the most heterogeneous 1%. And this is where most of the interesting changes, chemical, physical changes happen. And when something happens to the crust, also the management of the also get affected, as you can see on this uh, bruise. I decided not to go into any topic in big detail, but to bring you four topics uh, for as a taster. Two of them are ongoing and two of them are plans. Uh, the two ongoing uh, studies relate to seismology, so one is about the seismic structure and the other is about the seismic source. And the two plans, one is a crustal scale uh, geodynamic plan, the other is a smaller scale but a bonus that I would like to show you at the end of uh, the presentation. The first topic is uh, done in the frame of the PhD thesis of Leonardo Calaviti, who is sitting in the back, so if you have more questions, you can talk to him. And we would like to create a new methodology for 3D S-wave velocity structure of the crust. And you may ask why we look for the S-waves. Well, I think we need to do some justice, because S-waves are often forgotten between the first arrival P-wave and the highest amplitude surface waves. There is important information to get from S-waves, which is complementary to P and other waves. The current methodology to get information from S-waves uh, will be listed on this slide, and also the drawbacks. So if you look into local earthquake tomography, you can get S-wave uh, models. But the problem is that on this waveform, uh, it's very hard to get the exact arrival of the S-wave. So most people forget to do these arrival times. Uh, the other problem is that you have a depth limitation. If you don't have deep earthquakes in your region, you cannot go for a deeper region. You can get S-waves from surface wave tomography. You will encounter a problem of resolution. You cannot get very high resolution due to the frequency content of these waves. You can get from ambient noise, as Andreas has already explained, and we had a seminar last week uh, as well from Eric Lahos. Uh, the main problem here is that you will have a depth penetration problem between the stations, uh, and you can only counter that if you make a very large aperture array. And finally, a method which is called receiver functions is a method which is mostly exploiting vertically arriving waves. So after a teleseismic wave coming as a P wave, you have the same wave plane converting to S wave. And this S wave is propagated slower than the P wave, and from the delay of this wave and the other wave, you can get information on the thickness of your crust and also the velocity structure. The main problem here is that we usually don't have enough coverage to cross the information on a big area and you save it mostly, or mostly vertically propagating information. Luckily, for ambient noise and receiver functions, you can do something in the field to improve the images. And something uh, you can do is to make large and dense arrays. And one such array is the Alpare, which is now operating in the greater Alpine area. Uh, there are more than 600 sensors, broadband sensors currently in the field. Uh, there have been similar attempts in the United States, although at low resolution. And with such an array, you can have large enough aperture to do ambient oceanography. And you can also do what is our plan with Leonardo to make the receiver function information cross at depth and come up with a three dimensional VS model by inverting the receiver function waveforms. So not just arrivals, but the waveforms around that converted phase. Uh, here's a snapshot of uh, part of outer array's ray coverage and also from the permanent station, so it's dense enough 
to have a good coverage inside the entire crust. And uh, what is new in our study or approach is the model parameterization. Classically, in seismic tomography, you have rectangular uh, cells with one velocity assigned to the entire cell as a bulk velocity change. And you try to uh, constrain the velocity in each of these nodes in successive iterations of the inverse problem. Since in converted waves you need to have a uh, velocity discontinuity, our parameterization is actually already including a velocity jump at the mid-crustal and the mobile interface, for example. So you have two parameters here, and we can also have a gradient inside the upper crust and the lower crust. And uh, this means we have more parameters to constrain, but we can have a better description of the velocity structure uh, in terms of SFP events. In terms of computation, uh, we currently have a couple of challenges which we will hit sooner or later with another. Uh, one of them is the large number of waveforms to handle with respect to the large number of unknowns. So at the moment the program is run in a series, but a future work could be done in parallel, parallelization of this code. At the moment one forward problem is about 15 minutes, so it's not too bad, but if you want to constrain that many variables you can really think of moving them to uh, parallel computing or large-scale ship computing. We have not yet uh, developed our ideas about the representation of uncertainty. Um, and in terms of coding, this is currently running under Mantap at Fortran. It's a question how to do it later if you move to large-scale uh, computational facilities. One perspective which I would like to highlight is that we can include the gravity field into constraining uh, not only the S, but also the density field as these two go better together than uh, simply the PV velocity with density. The second topic is the uh, cup of coffee of uh, Celso, who is uh, here, and it's a big cup of coffee because Celso has been developing full moment tensor inversions in the past uh, six or seven years in his PhD in Alaska and also in the past year here in, in, uh, in Lausanne. And I put hyphenation on purpose because these three words really belong together. Uh, you may know from tectonics that if you have an earthquake, you can characterize it as a strike slip, a thrust, or a normal fault, sorry, normal or thrust fault. And these are basically having a single plane and slip motion along the direction of the plane. And you can represent it as these beach balls uh, on the right by projecting on the lower hemisphere. There's more, more to seismic sources than just slip on a plane. You can also squeeze a ball, let's say, on the equator, and as a consequence, it will dilate on the poles. And you can also go and inflate or deflate such a beach ball. And these kind of mechanisms are typically not accounted for in full moment, in moment tensor inversions. In theory, you can always take a uh, seismic source and decompose it into these three components. So this is called the double couple, the classical way of looking in first space. This is called the CLB, <coughs> the compensated linear vector dipole uh, representation, and this is the isotropic component. And Celso is an expert in doing such decompositions and also quantifying the uncertainties. The full moment tensor inversion is a six-dimensional uh, parameter space in which we are doing the inversion, in inverse problem. And classically, this has been represented since the end of the 80s by this weird uh, diagram, uh, which was created by Hudson. You have two axes. The vertical axis is the uh, dimensional axis, and the left and right axis 
is the deviatory axis. My problem with this diagram is that it is hard to follow these isolines which change shape inside the diagram and these uh, diagram corners are not really on the axis so it's hard to follow what is happening but the main idea is to have earthquakes in the center of the diagram. The pure double couples will be simply on a point irrespective of strike strip, normal or stress faults. You can have the large isotropic component events on the top or the bottom side, so for example, nuclear explosions can all come up to the top of the diagram, and collapsing uh, cracks or mines will be on the bottom of the diagram. Sasso and his colleagues have developed a smoother projection of this space onto a map, and this is called the Toulon. And these axes are similar, but the representation resembles more of a map representation on the Earth's surface. And here again, you can have double coupled earthquakes in the center of the diagram, uh, positive isotropic on the top part, and negative isotropic on the bottom part. And Sasser has applied these in his PhD to a number of weird uh, events, including their uncertainty, uncertainty characterization. Uh, so, for example, a couple of nuclear events, nuclear test events in the United States are clearly plotting in the top part of this balloon diagram. You can see that the visual is now completely blue, all arrivals are uh, impulsive, uh, expensive expansion uh, directions. He has applied this also to some volcanic events in South America, and you can see that the best solutions move away from the double-couple solution. And he's also looking into the quantification of how much non-double component is in these sources. Currently, Sasso is looking into a couple of metamorphic events in which there's a volume chain associated into the phase change, so density and volume change of the mineral reactions. Uh, he's still looking into further characterization of uncertainty. How can you simplify this loom diagram into a single number or a single distribution? And he's working on this decomposition of uh, the sources into these three components I have mentioned initially. A couple of information on the computational side. Uh, so this is a Inversion is typically done in six dimensions, and so here's the browse rule on a grid search of 30 million solutions. This is for one set of parameters, and what he's fitting is observed waveforms in black versus the synthetic waveforms in red. So the size of the exercise will depend on the number of stations that you have, of course. So typically for 15 seismological stations, you will have a calculation time of 20 minutes, so it's not too bad. Uh, the generated data amount is not very high, but you still need six minutes of post-processing. Currently, uh, this software is running as a combination of different uh, languages and different platforms. So, three platforms were used for the compilation, five languages are used for the processing and representation. Uh, it is parallelized already with OpenMP, but more could be done if you consider to use more stations and more data. Uh, Celso at the moment is using a 16-node uh, computer in his desktop, so he seems to be not too unhappy with that. But you can imagine, of course, <coughs> to larger scale computers and uh, more efficient inversions in the future. My third topic is uh, geodynamic modeling on the lithosphere and crustal scale. This is a plan I would like to do in the next years, together with a group of uh, Yuri and Stefan who sit in the front row and uh, aiming for the uh, cluster octopus. The topic of the modeling is the Tibetan Plateau, which is a very large area. For comparison of the scale, this is the size of Switzerland. Okay, so it's a huge area, very thick crust, 
80 kilometer crust uh, in, in, uh, in most of this area. And uh, because of this complexity of this area, people who have attempted numerical modeling of evolution of the system has always went, have always gone into different uh, simplifications, either using 2D or just doing kinematic models, simplifying physical properties in some sense, or just taking a few parameters to make conceptual models instead of data-driven models. And of course, one uh, critical issue is how uh, dense is the resolution of your numerical model. Um, I have also done some modeling in that sense, and of course, I also simplified the modeling along these lines. So for example, when I was interested in having the density field properly representing metamorphic reactions, in which the lower crust not only gets high density, but also mass is conserved and density increases, then of course I was uh, confronted with the use of uh, coarse meshes. I don't know if you can see, but this is only one layer of, of elements, because the calculation at the time did not allow to go to higher resolution. Still, we could get sensible results <coughs> with more localized uplift and more localized subsidence for the basin with a metamorphic reaction properly implemented. But again, at the cost of coarse resolution in this model. Uh, something I would like to add in this uh, modeling scheme is the use of gravity data. We now have very good coverage in the entire area. In the past couple of years, we have covered data in the entire area of Bhutan and in Western Nepal. So we can have good control with gravity data on the density distribution of the models, which was seldom done in the past, maybe on one or two occasions, in three dimensions. So my wish list, if I can, uh, if I can elaborate on that, is to have a fully 3D dynamic model in which densities follow not only pressure and temperature, but also the chemistry of the elements and mass conversation. Uh, and I would like to have this model really high resolution and data-driven. If you look into the crustal structure across the Himalayas at different longitudes, you see that the mobile shape varies a lot. And this is not only data processing and seismology, this is real lateral variations of the mobile geometry. So Yuri said this is feasible, and I look forward to the collaboration with him and his group on uh, Octopus on this topic. Now, finally, my bonus. This is not on the crustal scale, and you may think this is a nice thing for geotourism, uh, but there is uh, actual applications to this. Uh, people in Iceland uh, are interested to look into columnar jointing, because these set of fractures that you see between these columns have very good permeability. So for geothermal exploration and geothermal systems, quantifying the permeability of these uh, rocks at near subsurface is of interest to know how quickly you can uh, transfer water uh, through such systems. And of course, Iceland has plenty of this. So this feature is called uh, columnar jointing. Um, it's a very nice feature which forms by cooling lava. Um, as soon as the lava is cooling, you will de develop these polygonal fractures, which will de develop from the cold side, propagate down uh, to, the cold, to the hot part of the cooling lava body. And actually, you can see that these fractures propagate in the brittle domain, because each fracture is happening in a brittle so-called so chisel mark. Um, and what is nice about these features, what you can see on the right, is that these columns will be always perpendicular to the cooling surface. So it's a tracking of the isotherms of the local field with the shape of the columns. 
the principle of this columnar joint information is now mostly accepted in the community. You have a cooling lava flow. The lava is a lower density and occupies more volume than the solid rock after solidification, so it has to contract. And during the contraction, you will form those joints in between the, the columns. And to do that, you will have to minimize energy. You will have to minimize the strain energy and also the new fracture creation energy. And the best way to do that is to make hexagons. But there are still some problems with this, with this concept. First of all, the volume change from the liquid to the solid state is about 15 to 20 percent. Where do you put it? Because the fractures do not have 50 to 20 percent weight. The second problem is that the average number of polygons measured in a large sample of 3,000 columns is not six, it's less. How do we explain it? At the moment, we don't have a conceptual model to answer the first question. The conceptual model says that when you cool the uh, lava body, you don't only create these uh, joints through which heat can evacuate, but you also sink the surface of the solidifying lava body so that it actually compacts more than the joints uh, take up from this 15-20% volume change. We don't have a good physical model uh, and a tool to, to simulate this on the computer. There have been a number of attempts to make these simulations. So there are five papers with uh, physical numerical models which could simulate that, but none of them includes all of these properties. One model has maybe one to three properties simulated and the others are simplified. And so, although this is a good start, but I think we have to step forward and really do something that can explain uh, most of our observations. So my dream and wish list for uh, the modeling group is that we do all of this three-dimensional thermomechanical modeling with proper rheology, including the brittle and the viscous part, uh, including the development of fractures, temperature-dependent physical properties, and everything that is related to the phase change. The latent heat, but also the volume change uh, should be explicitly coded into this software to simulate it. I think we need three phases, and that's why this is difficult. We need solid, matte, and the air. The air should play a role in cooling the, uh, the columns in the joints. And all this should be a function of chemical composition, because in the field we have seen that the column size is clearly connected to the chemical composition of uh, the lava. <coughs> More specific lavas will develop big columns, and basaltic will make smaller columns. Once we have a good tool, we can compare this to nature. We have very good data on these scales I have mentioned. We should check this conceptual model I have shown you before. And we really have to study what is this specific cooling rate at which a lava body has to cool to make the columns. If you do it too fast, it will be vitreous. If you do it too small, you don't have column rejoining. So there's a couple of uh, pending questions to solve by uh, numerical modeling. And finally, to connect it back to seismology, there is one paper from the 60s in which uh, a cooling lava lake has been immediately instrumented by seismic stations, and they could detect the propagation of the cracks in the lava lake. And I think this would be a super experiment to do if you are quick enough and find a good time <laughs> to do that. With that, I leave you uh, with my food for thoughts. Thank you very much. <laughs>